Amen. Let us return to that passage we read earlier in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 19, and verses 1 to 19 will be our text for this evening's message. 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 1, all the way down to the end of verse number 19, which we read earlier, will be our text for this evening. And our title is Seeking God in Distress. Seeking God in distress. What do you do in times of trouble? When you hear devastating and difficult and trying news, what is your reaction? Where do you go to for help? Where do you go to for relief? When you hear those words for the first time, perhaps it's a devastating call from the hospital of a loved one. Where do you go to for words of relief and comfort? Our text here that we're looking at here this evening looks at Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, over the southern kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah is ruling at this time and he hears distressing threats made against him and his kingdom if he trusts in the Lord. A king who faces the threats of a mighty empire such as that of Assyria. Now this Assyrian empire is scary, dangerous. And from a human point of view... We could all understand the terror that people may have. A mighty empire. They come, they mock, they revile. And every other example that they've seen before us, it hasn't ended well. This causes great distress and inward affliction for King Hezekiah. Now we may ourselves never face this exact trial and tribulation and difficulty but in another way we all face difficulty one trouble or another we live in a fallen world we are sinners and since the fall of adam we face the difficulty of being surrounded by death and all the symbols around us that show us that things are not quite right. We live in a fallen world. And there's challenge if we dare trust in Jesus Christ, isn't there, in the world. Hezekiah is being challenged here if he dares trust in God to deliver him from the hand of the Assyrians. Well, Rabshakeh, who represents the Assyrians, and Sennacherib, the rulers, it's not going to end well for you, is it? But friends, we walk by faith and not by sight. But there's no doubt that when this comes, it's going to be distressing. We're not machines. We are creatures of the dust of the earth. And when Hezekiah hears this, he is brought to distress. And the question is not, will distress come? The question is, what will you do when it does come? When times of distress do come, what will you do? When those in your workplace may mock and ridicule 
your faith in Jesus Christ or in your school or wherever you may be? Where will you go for sweet comfort and relief? Will you go to yourself or will you go to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Our first point that we're going to look at here this evening from our text is the place the place of seeking God in distress. Where did Hezekiah go? Verse number 1 tells us, And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he'd heard all that the rapture had said, and he hears it, and he then rents his clothes, he covers himself in sackcloth. This is the outward expression of grief and distress. And where does he go? He goes into the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. And what has happened to cause this great grief within Hezekiah? What did he hear? Rabshakeh is representing the Assyrians, and we see this in the previous chapter, chapter number 18. And the Assyrians, they're coming to dominate. They're coming to rule. They don't want to play second best to the Lord of Israel. And from a human point of view, purely from a human point of view, things look bleak. The northern kingdom, Samaria, has recently just fallen and there's a big long list of all the other nations and their small g gods that have fallen so from a human point of view great fear the assyrians were not kind to those who stood in their way they were quite cruel actually quite gruesome in fact what they would do to their enemies and anyone who stand in their way and they came with wrath, and they came with mockery. They came with pride in their hearts. Now this would be distressing to hear. Let's look at one of the things that Hezekiah would have heard. In the previous chapter, chapter number 18, in verse number 19, And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah. Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this? Wherein thou trustest. Verse 20, thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust? That thou rebellest against me. Who are you trusting in? Seriously, you think you can escape? You think you're going to be different from all the other nations that we have crushed underfoot? And they think it's ridiculous. Verse number 13 of chapter 18. And in the fourth and in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. This is what's happened up to this point. There's already been injury. There's already been a taste of the wrath of the Assyrian might that they've already experienced. Eight years after Samaria had fallen. So from a human point of view, it looks very, very bad. The enemies of God do not want Hezekiah to trust God. And friends, 
The enemies of God today are not any different, are they? The enemies of God do not want us in 2024, no matter where we may be, to trust in our God. And they'll use mockery, ridicule. They'll get angry, in fact, at times, when they see us trust in our God. So while, yes, we may not go through an identical experience that Hezekiah has gone through in many ways, we go through very similar things. Do I witness to this neighbor or will he get angry with me again? And you might even have a little fear in your heart as you share the gospel with him. We must trust in the Lord. We live in a hostile world that is hostile to the gospel. And when we face hostility, and when we have this distress that we will experience in this world, where do we go? The house of God. We go to the blessed presence of God. No, we're not talking about a building. We're not talking about a physical location. We're, we're going to the place of where the Lord's blessed pleasant presence dwells. You see, what is the temptation when we face trial and difficulty? Have you ever been tempted when you're feeling down and you've had a horrible week? The temptation is, oh, I don't know, if it's not if I'm feeling well, am I going to go to church today? And the temptation is you don't want to see people. You want to be alone. Friends, we need to be at the house of God. We need to meet with God in a special way. When we can, obviously, there will be times where we will be legitimately sick. And we can't come, but when we can come... There's a great blessing there to meet with God, to find these blessings in his presence. In going to God, too, we don't put on a performance or an act. Hezekiah goes there wearing the garments of grief. He goes there. doesn't leave his grief behind. He brings it to the Lord, to the place of comfort to the place of God's blessed presence. I think we forget how wonderful it is to be at public worship, to meet with God. And as we, we struggle for the words to even describe how wonderful God meets with his people at the public means of grace. We struggle for words to describe how wonderful it is, but God chooses to dwell in our midst and bless us, those who are in Jesus Christ. We ask, don't we, that the Lord would rend the heavens and meet with us in blessing. Isaiah 64 and verse number 1. Isaiah 64 and verse number 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. In the same chapter and verse number 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what thou hast prepared for them that waiteth, waiteth for him. And it's, what is so wonderful about heaven, is we come into the blessed presence of God. Heaven is wonderful because of God. Now God is omnipresent, he is everywhere, but his special blessed presence. The public means of grace. It is so, so special. And it is, it is the God to whom Hezekiah has prayed before. Verse number 15 in our text. 
verse number 15 of chapter 19. It says this, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. That's the one. That God, that powerful and mighty creator, the infinite true God, it is in his presence. We come into his presence in and through Jesus Christ and find blessing and refreshment. Our second point this evening is this, the promise. The promise. So we've looked at the place. Now we're going to look at the promise. In times of distress, we will seek words of comfort. We will seek often, how is this going to get better? And Hezekiah wisely goes to the Lord, verses 6 and verse number 7. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Look at these wonderful words in the middle of verse 6. Be not afraid. We need to hear those words many, many times, don't we? You see Jesus with his disciples, be not afraid. Because we are creatures, but of the dust of the earth, and it's easy for us to be afraid. And we do have times when we do fear, and we need those comforting words from the Lord. Be not afraid. And it's only comforting words if it's followed up with a promise. A promise. The Lord, and he's using uh, the prophet Isaiah to speak these words. Thus shall he say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, be not, be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard. Do not fear them, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And why? Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword of his own land. Now this is not going to be coincidences. Oh, he's predicting things. No, friends. He's in control of all the circumstances of life. The Lord knows the end from the beginning. I will cause him to fall. Look at that. I will cause him to fall by the sword of his own land. And friends, the food on your table is no accident. Your health is no accident. The blessing that you have had this evening to come to the means of grace is no accident. God provides all these things. And he reminds us again and again in these things. I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Comforting words because the source of distress are these Assyrians. What will happen? Well, God will do as he promises. He will do as he promises. And these promises, friends, are to be, they are comfort to believers, but they're not comfort to unbelievers. 
Since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, there's been a promise for the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. That great and mighty promise shows us this. For believers, there is comfort in the words of the gospel. But for the unbeliever, not at all. There is wrath. There is defeat. There is crushing. So this promise, this comfort is only to believers in the Lord God. So when we're facing distress, we need the voice of God. We need the promises of God. And don't we need to be reminded of the promises of God? Be not afraid. Words that comfort, words that promise victory, words that when we are in the midst of something that may seem and taste like bitter defeat, discouraging things in our Christian walk, we need to be reminded of how this is all going to end. It's all going to end with the return of the Lord. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will reign. Hezekiah faces in this text a cruel empire. It promises something different from the Lord. It promises death and destruction and it wishes to place fear in the hearts of God's people. And some things have never changed. The world wants us afraid and not trusting in the Lord. You see, the promises of the enemy are not soothing. And it comes to this. What will we fill our minds with? There are so many things in this world that rob us of peace. And we fill our minds with the promises of mere men. We've got to fill our minds, friends, with the promises of Almighty God. I'm not saying that we're ignorant to the things that are going on in the world. There's obviously a balance here that has to be struck. But we must saturate our minds with the promises of God above the promises of the enemy. Because we can worry, can't we, about so many things. We will invent things in our minds that may happen, could happen. But we don't know the future. We don't. And we'll imagine all the things that could happen. They never do, usually. And then all the things that we can't even imagine, haven't even thought of, they might happen instead. We don't know the future, friends. God does. God knows the end from the beginning. And the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, worry, anxiety, and these are things, normal things in life, will not help us. It says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25 following. It says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What shall ye eat or what shall ye drink? Nor yet for your own body. What ye shall put on is not the life more than meat. And the body than raiment. Now we may read a verse like that and wonder, I don't remember ever worrying about food or clothing. Well, we are very unusual in the West in the last couple of decades, really. Most of the world, for most of human history, is worried. Worried deeply about whether there'll be enough food on the table. Or whether they'll have enough clothes to wear. 
This is most of human history where people have, these are the basic necessities of life. People have worried, have they been there? But look at what is said here in Scripture. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? <clears throat> by, by thinking about all these things that may or may not happen, is it going to help us in any way? Not at all. God knows the future. God knows the end from the beginning. God has revealed certain things to us that will certainly happen in the future. These things help us. But the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. There's many things we don't know about the future, and if we knew them, they would not help us. We have everything we need in the Scriptures. We have the promises of God. And no matter what happens in life, we still have those promises. Promises of victory. Whenever we face distress, we have promises of victory. Maybe we will not taste that victory immediately. Maybe we will suffer for a time. But in the end, for the believer, there will be full victory. Even for the body. At the end of time, the resurrection and redemption of the body. At these things we all look forward to, no matter the distress of the enemy that wishes to put doubt and anxiety and struggle in our minds. The promises of God are so worth clinging to because they are certain. And friends, the enemies are not. Far, far from it. Our third point is the power so the place, the promise, and, find, and number three now, the power. The power in seeking God in times of distress. We're seeking the true source of power. The true source of power in the world in Hezekiah's day was not the Assyrians. They thought they were. We're the, we're the mighty empire. Later on, they were taken over largely by the Babylonians, and then later by the Persians. And they thought they were the mighty rulers of the earth. But in many ways, they were humbled and reminded of where the true power in the world really was, both in this world and in the world to come, both in heaven and on earth. It is the same power that rules forevermore. The Assyrians think that they are more powerful than the God of Israel. And of course, friends, we know that this is foolishness. In verses 10 to 13 of our text, 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 10 to 13. Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria, Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. Shall thou be delivered? There's, there's a, and it's, look at all the, the gods of the nations, he's saying. They haven't delivered them at all. And so the God of Israel, the true and living God, the infinite one, the one who is most loving, most wise, most true, has been compared to the gods, the, the false gods 
of the nations. The Assyrians don't know their place. They don't realize they're limited and helpless and that the gods of the nations, the idols that they are, are limited, helpless, and the product of men's minds and the product of men's hands. But our God has no limits. He has no equal. He has nothing in this world which he can be compared to. I am God, and there is none else. And there is none like me. And that's often what we'll do when we create idols. We create the living and true God, the one who is holy, 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 set apart from his creation and sin. And we compare him to things and that we see around us in this world. It's one of the biggest temptations. But he cannot be compared to anything created. He is the creator. Why would we look to created things when we can look to the infinite creator? The one who's without limits, whose power knows no end, whose power never changes from eternity past and forever and ever. Why would we go anywhere else? Why would we go to the products of man's brains? to the idols of the nations. Why would we even look within ourselves? We can, many people are self-reliant. They think they're self-reliant. But why would we look to ourselves? We're frail, we get sick, we have limitations. We are but of the dust of the earth. And so are these idols. What would happen if Hezekiah and Judah in this day put trust in their own power. Well, they don't have any power, do they? Neither do we in and of our own selves. Why are we breathing today? Why are we alive today? Why are our brains thinking? Why are we still enjoying the life that we still have? Why do we still have feeling in our hands, all these things, because God has willed it. And it's got under God's sovereign control. <clears throat> we often forget that so much. Can Hezekiah and the people of God face this alone? Not at all. They need God. They need to seek the true power, and only God can help them. And God will bring us through valleys of affliction. He will bring us to the end of ourselves. He will bring us into places of suffering for a good, holy, and righteous reason. It's not always going to be punishment. It's not always going to be the wrath of God. We need to be careful how we look at these things. But there's always a good reason. We may not know the full reason why. We often don't. But whatever the reason is, it's always to bring us to the end of ourselves. To not trust ourselves. To look to him and to him alone as the true power of the universe. To the true power that will deliver us in times of distress and as our only help in this world. Distress in times of storms. The Lord is the one we ought to run 
2 and Isaiah 25. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse number 4. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse number 4. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible ones is a storm against the wall, it is our duty as creatures made in the image of God to look to him for refuge, to look to his aid. I'm sure you know we as creatures, we have limitations in what we can do. And other people, even good friends of yours, there's going to be times you'll look for their help and they're not going through a good time and they may be frustrated and different things and they can't always help you. That's never the case with God. God's love and power and glory is without limit. And he's never held back in any way. So if we are going through difficulty today, there's a good reason for it. It's not because God's hand is shortened. It is not shortened. God's hand is powerful, glorious, and mighty. And he's bringing you through these things that you are facing today so that you will look in the midst of the storm, no matter how bad it may be, to look to him. And it's all for the glory of God. It's all to magnify him. It's all to glorify his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps you're here this evening and what may be distressing you. You may not be a leader of a nation like Hezekiah. But you may be a leader in other ways. You may be concerned about your children. Where are they now? You may be wondering, where is their spiritual walk? And you may cause you great distress. Where is the true power? Can we make the difference? No, it's in God's hands. All these things. All these distressing things we face. We must seek God's power. And God is magnified. In all these things. And now it brings us to our fourth point and final point, prayer. This leads us all to prayer. We come to a place of blessing in the means of grace. We come to a place of promise, place of comfort, the word of the living God to believers in Jesus Christ. And we come to a place where his power is. And how do we reach out to him? How do we cry out to him in prayer? Hezekiah is seeking the Lord in prayer. Verse number 14 of our text. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He has this distressing, threatening information coming from Rabshakeh and the Assyrians. He has the source of his distress God knows why you are distressed. There's no point in hiding it from him. He knows. But he wishes for you to express it. Go before him honestly. Go before him with tears. 
go before him seeking his help. Verse number 15 says this, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. And that is really, isn't it, a rebuke of what the Assyrians are saying. You are the only God. Thou art the only God. It is him and him alone. We're not talking about the idols of the nations. All these nations at the time had all their different idols. And they all had their different forms of worship. But we pray to the true and living God just as Hezekiah did. We, no, we don't pray to an idol. I was witnessing to a lady a few days ago and she said she had a hand was broken and tried to give a gospel tract to her and she said he didn't help me on holiday basically saying well look at what look what happened to me I had something bad happen to me therefore he doesn't care is that the truth the Lord is most loving but we also have to realize what we all deserve if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we receive blessing in and through Jesus Christ, undeserved. But if we are unbelievers still in this world, we still have breath in our lungs and we still receive that grace and mercy that we're still here. We must realize the blessing that God has given. He is the one who sustains and maintains all things. He is good and he is righteous. He is holy. He is not our idol who we can command to do with as we please. He is the God who controls everything and does so wisely. And we cry out to him. We exalt him. And in prayer, we must remember prayer is, is worship. We ought to worship God in our prayer, whether privately or here in the public means of grace. We worship God in our prayers. We exalt him. We praise him. And one thing that that's going to do, if you begin your prayers with exalting God, it will take you out of your distress and put your eyes on God. And that can be hard. These, when these things, they, they fill your mind. But in times of prayer, you find sweet relief that your eye is pointed by faith upon Jesus Christ, away from ourselves, away from our agony, away from our times of pain. And it's powerful. Verse 16 says this, Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. We're, we're crying out to the Lord. Hezekiah is crying out to the Lord. Open, Lord, thine eyes. Now, the Lord does not have physical eyes. The Lord doesn't have a body or parts or passions. But this is language to express, Lord, hear our prayers, respond favorably to what we're asking. Graciously hear what, and grant what we don't deserve. Bow down thine ear and hear thine eyes and see and hear the words of Repshika. And then what's, what's Hezekiah appealing to? God's honor and God's glory. God's honor and God's glory, which he hath sent to reproach the living God. 
You actually see it in verse 4. Verse number 4 of our text. It may be that the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left, and will reprove the words for, for, the, for his glory's sake. Does God care about his glory? Oh yes, he does. His name, his reputation. So it's a powerful prayer when we ask that Pray for somebody in your workplace. Maybe they use the Lord's name in vain. Oh Lord, that no longer will that person use the Lord's name in vain. Of course, we are fallen sinners. But that he would turn to thee and glorify thee in his life. That there would be fruit that would point towards Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? See, sometimes we can pray... And it's almost like a shopping list. Help me here, help me there, help me there. And when we don't hear the answers to our prayer, we can become bitter. Friends, the way God answers prayer is most wise, most loving, most true. We are just small creatures and, and we won't understand much of the time. But the way he answers prayer is the best way. He's infinitely good, infinitely wise, and he will do so for his glory's sake. So when Hezekiah is pleading before the Lord, he's appealing to the honor and the glory and the name and the reputation of God. Friends, so what we to do? Glorify thy son in the salvation of that man I witnessed to, or that woman, or that young child or whoever may be it's all for the glory of god all for the glory of god see firstly it's not about our pain is it it's not about our distress hezekiah here it's not saying just remove this pain doesn't matter what happens just remove this remove this problem he's exalting god because it's really all about god's Glory. Verse number 19. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth, look what he's appealing to, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Lord, show the power, show thy greatness, show thy glory to the nations, so that it will shine forth. God's glory never changes. But through his works, through his handiwork, through his actions, through his, the things that he does in time, it shines forth. And it is glorious. And it is wonderful. And all things ought to be done for to him and through him be all things, all the glory. What do you face today? Your challenge will be different to that of Hezekiah. Most likely will not be facing an army. 
there can be threats of physical violence that Christians face around the world. But whatever the thing that is causing us to stress, God is more powerful than anything you face. Than anything that we fear. If you're concerned about somebody who's not saved, who's going to save that person? God. If they're ever going to be saved, it will be by God's grace and mercy. See, it's to where we look in times of distress. And when you do face those times of difficulty, do not hide away. Seek the Lord. Seek fellowship. At moments, those moments are the times you need fellowship with other believers and prayer and all sorts of the support that you need from other believers more than ever before. The devil doesn't want the believers to come together in times of distress. When we're more unified, what do we do? We weep with one another. We pray with one another. We laugh with one another. We rejoice with one another. Whose promises do you listen to here this evening? If we're listening to the world and its promises, we will be filled with anxiety and worries difficulties but if we listen to the promises of God we won't do this perfectly we never will on this side of eternity but if we listen to the promises of God there is comfort and those are the things that we need to fill our minds go through the Bible make a note of the promises that God has made to you dear believer in and through Jesus Christ because he delights in his son and therefore he also delights in you, his child. How should we pray in distress? Is it for our glory? Is it just for our present comfort? No. It's for the glory and the honor of God. Amen. Let us pray before Almighty God. Glorious and eternal King, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank thee for the comfort which thou givest us, thy people, in and through thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we look to thy promises. May we look to that place of meeting, and the public means of grace. May we look to the power which thou hast. May we seek thee in prayer. May we not neglect to cry out to thee. May prayer be as natural to us as breathing. May the truth fill our hearts, change us and conform us more and more into the image of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thou knowest thy sheep. Thou knowest the challenges that we all face here. Feed us with manna from heaven. May that manna from heaven, may that eternal wonderful, refreshing water, eternal, refreshing drink from heaven. May it give us comfort. May it give us refreshment on our journey home to our celestial home in heaven. 
Keep us from the wicked one. The devil, Satan, the world of flesh. We are so... We struggle in many ways. Please keep us from despair. May we look to thy Son for comfort. And in times of distress, find sweet relief. Even the sight of eternity. Longing, longing, O Lord, for that blessed, sweet, eternal rest that we will find one day in and through thy Son. We ask that thou, would, thou wouldst forgive us for our many sins. And may thy face shine upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please turn with me in your Psalters once more to Psalm 140. Psalm 140, and we're going to sing from verses 7 down to verse number 13. Verse number 7 down to verse number 13 of Psalm 140. O God, the Lord who art the strength of my salvation, a covering in the day of war, my head thou hast put on. Unto the wicked man, O Lord, his wishes do not grant, nor further thou his ill device, lest thy themselves should vaunt. And we see there in verse 7, O Lord, O God, the Lord, who art the strength of my salvation. Isn't it a wonderful thing? It's not our strength that delivers us it is not your strength it is the Lord's strength that will deliver you if you look to him by faith and by faith alone let us sing to God's praise verses 7 to verse number 13 <clears throat> oh God the Lord Let 
Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.